Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. Welcome to the Mission Whitetail podcast. We've had a few technical snafus this morning. It's all my fault, 100% of it, so I will take 100% of the blame. Yeah. Um, we've got Ben Rising with us today with Whitetail Edge. Um, ben is, is one of the premier big buck killers. I mean, a guy that finds a deer, goes in and kill him. We're going to get into that today with, with some of his logistics and strategies and, and tactics. But Ben, to start with, uh, most guys that are going to be listening to this know who you are and have seen, you know, quite a few of your shows, but just, you know, from your start with, with really killing big deer kind of back when you started with Drury, just, just kind of walk us through that to where you are today. And then we'll get into some of the hunting stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I got my start with Mark and Terry. Um, I was introduced to them actually through my wife, through a hunting video she bought for me for my birthday. And that's how my, uh, I guess my likeness or love of the Drury Outdoors, you know, started clear back then when they were really getting a good shot at it to themselves um, and were starting to become popular, I guess. But I didn't really have cable TV or stuff like that back then. Hadn't watched a lot of hunting videos. Um, was too busy logging and, you know, starting my own logging business at the time. But uh, I still love to hunt and trap and run coon hounds and once I found their stuff, I really just liked it and I was just drawn to it. And so I ended up meeting them at a turkey convention and a sports show type deal. And we just really hit it off. And they, you know, basically after talking deer and showing some pictures, they were like, Hey, you know, you ever thought of filming? And I was like, not well, I mean, sure. I'd like to try, but you know, back then it was a, you know, pretty good investment, you know, a couple thousand, almost three grand. I think me and my wife invested to give it a shot. And he's like, you know, you invest in the stuff and give it a shot. Then if it works out, then, you know, we'll bring you on the team. And if not, then you can just sell your stuff if you don't want to keep doing it. And I was like, all right, fair enough. So we went out, made the investment. I killed 184 inch nine point that year and she killed 150 inch deer. So, uh, Mark was like, well, I guess you're on the team. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. And that, no. that nine point is, is, is something else. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, he came up that little, I guess, cut road in the CRP or whatever that he lived, that sucker lived on a two and a half, three acre hillside full of briars and sumac. That was an old growed up dairy cow pasture. And I can remember as a kid going over to that guy's farm with my dad milking cows. And I, we would run cows off that hillside and it wasn't thick at all then. But as I, you know, when I killed this big nine, I was 25, I think 24, 25 years old. So it had grown up and got thick and nasty. They didn't milk cows no more. And so that whole area had just become um, bedding and, you know, and it led out to bean fields or corn fields for the deer, you know, to eat in. So it was kind of like the perfect staging area where I killed that deer coming out of bedding. And there was a lot of people after that deer back then. Yeah. So um, guys, if, if you look up Ben Rising Drury Nine Point, it's worth going and watching that because that, that's a pretty epic. It's on YouTube and yeah. everything else too. Yeah. yeah all over but that was my first booner but that yep. kind of set the stage for my love for big deer because i kind of 
I built a relationship with that deer, you know, watched him a little bit in the summer, filmed him some, um, he taught me a lot. You know, I remember climbing to the top of a giant maple tree. I mean, I'm talking clear to the top, um, just to observe this deer during season once, just to kind of really, I knew what I felt like I knew what he was doing, but I couldn't quite 100% say for sure. And so I took one night and I just, because I mean, there were so many people after this deer, I knew my time was limited. And I knew I was going to have to kill him fairly early, but he just wasn't moving much because he kind of knew he was being hunted. And finally, I, I got to the top of this big tree one night and I could kind of see what he was doing. I mean, and so then I made a move and ended up getting him killed. Yeah, it's awesome. It's an awesome hunt. So, so, then, so after that, you know, you stay with Drury for how many years, Ben? Yeah, I, I left. So I parted ways with Mark and Terry as far as filming just for them in 2013, I believe it was. And I started Whitetail Edge in 15. Um, that's when I filmed for the first, the first season I filmed was for 2015 for Whitetail Edge. I had had some footage from 14 that we used for the first year, uh, when I wasn't filming for Mark and Terry. Um, but you know, I was running an outfitting business at the time here in Ohio, Wicked Ridge Outfitters. I was doing that plus still doing the timber and which I still do. That's my everyday job. Everybody thinks I hunt for a living, but I don't, you know, most guys that really know who I am know that I'm a timber guy, you know, logging and standing timber um so then whitetail edge just started taking off my you know our first year i filmed for whitetail edge um i killed two booners yep and i remember then, i remember uh adam and i were checking in at the ata show and, and you had just finished up 2015 and you were standing behind us and we started talking and um and i i think you and i knew each other just through other people but we had never yeah. you know met and we started talking and, and you, you know, you were, you were nervous and excited about starting whitetail edge then like any, you know, new business that you start. And, um, it, it just, you know, kudos, man, going out on your own and doing that and pulling it all together and bringing it to where you are now with it. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely was nerve wracking. If you had told me then it was going to turn into what it's turned into, I didn't, I wouldn't have ever believed it, but <laughs> I guess that's just guys like you and me, you know, you, you grind and you just keep at it and things happen. You know, I mean, you, you got to put the work in and I mean, it obviously helps to have the opportunities to kill big deer, you know, cause that's what people really want to watch. Um, I don't feel like if I feel like if I hadn't been killing the deer I've been killing for the last seven years, it wouldn't be anywhere close to where it is now. Truthfully. Yeah. You're, you're, uh -huh. you're absolutely right. And the fact that you do it yourself, um, you know, that, that's a, that's another big thing because guys, I really, it's an interactive sport, right? It's not like NFL football where, where you're a fan, guys actually interact and they want to get better and they want to watch guys that actually provide value. And, yeah. and I, I'm not putting words, you know, in your mouth here, but, but the uniqueness of what you do is that you're not some guy that has a 5,000 acre farm in Alberta or Iowa. Everybody always says Iowa, but some 5,000 acre farm in Illinois that's heavily managed. I mean, you're finding leases, you're finding permission spots, and then you're finding these big deer and going in and killing them. And, and most everybody could do what you do. You know, they could do it or do what we do, right? They, they yeah, well, absolutely and i mean like this past year was the first year i ever killed a buck 
on dirt that I actually owned. It, yeah, I mean that, that's it, it, I mean, in, and it's not five. a five thousand acre farm. It's a big farm. You know, it's three hundred acres, but you know, me and a buddy own it together. I'm not the only one hunting it. All the neighbors hunt. Um, we can do some food plots, things like that. Obviously, you know, it starts. You can play with it and have fun with it, but. You know, I killed two deer in Illinois last year and I killed scissors on that other guy's farm that I'd never been on, you know, killed it in three days, which I know you want to talk about that later. But I'm just saying, like, that's what I think draws people to Whitetail Edge, at least the people that are willing to put their pride aside and listen and try to learn something. Um, You know, um, we get a lot of those negatives that are like, well, if I can hunt where you do, but people don't realize where I came from and what I hunted to get to where I'm at. You know, just like Mark and Terry, go back and watch some of the videos from 1998. Those guys were pounding 120s. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, I mean, like we all just evolved. Like that's what these younger people don't realize that are on Instagram and Facebook and that follow us and they make these stupid smart ass comments. Yeah. Like, well, go back to when Ben rising was 24 years old, you know, and watch what I was doing. And I've just evolved, you know, it's, you learn. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, there's trolls, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable. You know, it doesn't matter what we, I'm sure you put out. There's, there's a small portion of people that just, they, they, they really just don't get it. They, they, yeah. they want to be jerks. They, they, they want to have negativity. And, and quite frankly, I feel kind of bad for them. You know, I, well, I do too. I mean, I do too. And I mean, I think too, cause you know, I'm a man of faith and you know, I'm not, I'm not always the best example of a Christian, you know, I mess up, I cuss, I, you know, I guess you'd say I'm a, a country boy that loves Jesus, but I'm not afraid to profess my faith, but I'm not always the best example. I understand that, but I also feel that God has kind of directed me in a sense too, to where I can use this platform and kind of help people. And, you know, and I have, I mean, we've had some great experiences through Whitetail Edge on that side of things that have been just even more so more important to me than even killing big deer, but that's a different subject. But, um, you know, these people, I think what it is, and I think somebody told me the other day that they were reading, I think it was a book that Cameron Haynes had wrote and he was talking about the haters and the people that make the comments. And he goes, the reason they make those comments, he said, is because I make them feel like crap Mm. about themselves. And it's the truth. Like that's typically what it is. It's people aren't happy with themselves or they're not happy because they can't do what he's doing or you're doing or I'm doing, but they could, if they would put their mindset in a different direction and, you know, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the negativity comes from. It just comes from people that are upset about it. And, you know, or I get the comments, well, I don't live where, well then move. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Right. Exactly. Then move. I don't have 5,000 acres in Iowa. Well, if that's what you want, switch professions to where you can afford it. Go to medical school, become a doctor, become a lawyer. I mean, there, there's, it, we live in America. You can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I moved, you know, 15 years ago to where I'm at now. I mean, I only moved two hours, but I moved two hours literally because there was more timber here and the deer were bigger. <laughs> you want to send uh, the GPS coordinates of that location yeah. across yeah. the screen right now, or are you going to find <laughs> because I mean, there's so many hunters around here now it's changed so much in 15 years. It's ridiculous, but it is starting to finally bounce back a little bit. I feel like people are managing a little better now. That's good. But a lot of outfitters have popped up right here in my general area. I live in Kilbuck, Ohio. Everybody knows that. 
but uh, you know, it's it's a little was I would say at one time this southern part of Holmes County and northern Coshocton County, Ohio was probably some of the best big buck genetics I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and then and that's what it takes. Yeah, and then it just seemed like as as things progressed, and you know, we started outfitting and. I feel like I did draw some attention to that here. And, you know, I might've been my own worst enemy to a degree. Um, but now there's within, within an hour of me, I know of at least 10 outfitters now, 10 wow. to 12. I know one guy just in Shockton County alone, he takes over 350 hunters a year. Good gracious. I mean, that how lets, do you even, that lets him get why does anybody it? even book a hunt with a guy like that? You, you wouldn't. Do they really feel like they're going to be the one out of eight people that kill a deer over 150? Right. You know, yeah. I mean, just blows my mind. And they just keep gobbling up land, gobbling up land, and you know, not not to bash outfitters. Um, you, you know, that there's a there's a place. Well, for there's that. some real good ones out there. Yep, there, there really is. But that's what I'm saying. People really need to do their due diligence when it comes to picking an outfitter. For sure. You know, how many people do you take? What is your ratio of opportunity? Not just you know, and then how many farms do they hunt? Like, you know, some of these guys, they, they make these pe poor people hunt the same farm all week long. Yeah. You know, not caring about wind or entrance or that's what, you know, that's why I quit outfitting because I was the worst outfitter in the world because I would not overpressure my deer and I was spending all this money on leases and I just wasn't making money because I wouldn't over hunt and I wouldn't overbook. I think the most we ever took in a year was 40 people. Yeah. And I was just overwhelmed and I felt like I was just hammering my deer and I had 7,000 acres at that time. <laughs> and I still felt like I was putting too much pressure on the deer. Yeah. You know, and my, my opportunity rate then was, what did we figure out the last, the last few years we outfitted, I think we were at like a 38%, 40% opportunity, you know, on big deer, like deer over 135 plus mature and, deer. yeah but guys so many guys just melt they can't hit them they you know yeah. don't know how to react when they get a 160 inch deer in, in front of them you know but uh it was fun but it got to got to wearing me down and it was just not worth it because as a business guy i wasn't doing a good job because i was spending all this money and it, we were just turning money yeah you know so finally i just like you know what that's when my i turned my shift to the filming 100%. And I said, I'm either going to make it or I'm not. And I'm going to yeah, give it up. Bold, it was a bold move, yeah. a, a very bold move. And the, the show's got huge success, huge following. I mean, you put the scissors buck, anybody that wants to see it, go to whitetail edge and you can, you can see the scissors buck hunt that we'll talk about in a minute. But, um, let, let's, uh, we, we do this. We try and do this with all our guests because we, we are trying to bring value and, and, and talk about equipment that, that, you know, guys like you use, walk us through your bow setup, your broadhead, your arrow, you know, your sight. What, what do you, you tell, I'll, I'll ask, I'll just fire some questions at you. How's that sound? Well, just hang on a second. Cause if you're just sitting, actually my bow sits here cause I shoot it in the mornings, but <clears throat> so this is this you is my bow. You shoot the that's the inline uh, three inline. or yeah. What's that? It's the inline three or what is it, Kevin? No, this one is the uh, 
guess this would be the two. This is the shorter version. It's no, it's the one inline one. Inline, so it's the prime inline one. Yep. What what poundage do you have it set at? Uh, this one is set at sixty six pounds right now. Sixty six pounds, twenty nine yep. inch draw. Twenty eight. Twenty eight inch draw. What kind I of rest are you? Twenty nine, but I'm a little different for some reason. I actually like just a little bit of a. I I don't know why I've just always liked a little bit of a bend in my elbow. It's just how I've always shot, so I don't yep. change it. That's unique. Um, I've got a. Uh, HHA stabilizer and the HHA Virtus rest and sight. You know, this is the, uh, this is actually the new uh, two. This one here is the new two pin from gotcha. uh, HHA. So it's on and, a slider. So you've got like uh, 20 and 30 and then you slide from there. Yeah. So like mine, so like when mine is set at 20, my second pin is at 36. Okay. So like I could, you know, I can, some people get worried about deer moving on them and they need to adjust fast or they don't feel like they can adjust fast enough. But me, honestly, even with one single pin, I never had an, I never really had an issue with that. Um, but I'm, I'm shooting this for them, you know, trying it this year, you know, they want the feedback. So that's what I'm doing. This is the rogue bowstring. Uh, that's one of my sponsors rogues made right here about 30 minutes east of me. And, uh, when you put a rogue on your, bow it'll increase the poundage of your bow instantly by about three to four pounds wonder why they're, that is because they're, they're so pre-stretched and they're so they are wicked freaking strings um huh. it's amazing like it's crazy i mean i've never had a bow that it didn't increase the poundage on the bow when i put the string on how about that i you know it can be said you can take this original string off and say your bow's at 65 maxed out at 65 pounds you put one of these on then you put it back on the scale it goes to like 67 68 it's pretty pretty insane so new strings new cables yes yep. all right what about your arrows what arrows do you like um well i was shooting black eagle for a long time which they're yep. a great arrow you know those <laughs> guys have a good company um but you know and i was i was sponsored by them but um, you know, and I'll just be straight. I'm not a guy that hides anything. I just didn't feel like I got any love back. You know, I mean, it was just kind of like you'd kill all these deer. I mean, how many booners did I kill using their arrows? And I think they posted like two pictures <laughs> in <laughs> six years, you know, and like, I, I want partners that get behind me and, you know, but they don't need it, I guess, you know, they're a huge company. So I guess that's just how they felt. So it's fine. You know, I'd send them an email, want to talk to them and wouldn't hear from them for three months, Wow! you know? So I just didn't feel like they valued my relationship with them. So, and that's fine. I mean, Randy is a great guy. He's busy. Probably wasn't even him or Jason. They just busy people. So I just felt like, well, you know, I'll move on. So I actually don't have a narrow sponsor right now. Um, but I, last year I shot FMJs by Easton. Okay. Um, but we do have something in the works right now coming up the pipe. So I will be shooting, but I don't know that it'll be this fall yet, but I do have somebody that's um, really wanting to work with us on arrows. So, And then um, your mega meat broadhead, G5 mega meat broadhead, yeah. we tested those I, out with some shoulder blades and stuff. That's a really good head, really yeah. well built. Those guys are superstar engineers with, with stuff they build. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, just like, the, like this cam, you know, they were the first guys to do that, you know, parallel cam system. And now they've, you know, come out with the inline and the way the cam shifts everything, you know, with the string to keep everything They're They're really big on center technology. Like 
keeping everything balanced. And, and I can honestly say I've shot a lot of bows. I've never owned a map. I owned a Matthews for like a month. Um, it was a great bow, but it was just basically, I was, I was testing bows. Like, cause I was kind of in that point of where I, who I wanted to go after, who I wanted to talk to. But for some reason, I just kept coming back to the prime. I just did. I mean, I, I felt like it was the most easy, accurate shooting bow I'd ever shot. It did have a little more vibration than the Matthews at the time. But now with this new inline, I don't know that it's, I don't know that there's a difference. Um, and I do like the way that the math or, you know, that the prime, when you grab it, you're more centered. Everything is, you know, like you just, I'm not even, and it's just, it just levels out every time. And I really noticed that from the start. And I don't know, just a super easy shooting bow for me. Yeah. I'm just very comfortable with it. Yeah, I think so. they make good products for sure. And the Mega Meat, those blades are, are razor sharp. You know, we, we you know, tested them through some shoulder blades and stuff. And um, it's a, a good broadhead. And then I, I guess the other equipment, you, you know, let, let's talk about cameras for a minute. Um, I don't know if you remember, or you probably will, but probably five years ago, I called you and said, all right, off the record, man, we know how this sponsorship goes and we got to pay the bills. Tell me about these Spartan cameras. And you said, dude, I'm telling you, it's the best cellular camera that I have used. Yeah. So, without yeah. yeah. Still and, 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 and I will, we, we are not sponsored by Spartan. We, we use them. Um, and I've probably turned 50 people on to Spartan cameras. And I think Kevin will attest. I mean, I, yeah. I've run, you know, 20 plus of them a year. Um, and we get like a hundred of them shipped to our shop. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, 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 I mean, it's unbelievable uh, how many, I mean, guys, we've spread the word to, but the, the Spartan cameras are, and, and you know, that's a testament too. you know, some guys are going to watch this and go, Oh, Ben's talking about the prime. He's talking about the road string, the Cobra release. The, he's just pimping his sponsors, but let me be the first to say big buck, big bucks are too important to you, too important to me to use something inferior. That's not going to let you get the job done. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, I've turned down so many opportunities to make money. Like, I mean, seriously, I could make, and it's probably foolish, but I just don't want to be that guy that pushes something to my viewers that I do not believe in. Yeah. I mean, I literally had a camera sponsor for a while. We were starting the relationship and I hated the camera. I hated it. It just didn't work. I mean, it couldn't rely on it. And yep. so I just, I didn't even go any further, you know, politely declined and, you know, we discussed it and I mean, you know, left on good terms, they understood and they were going to try to work on it. You know, I, since, I don't know, I've never used it since, but just had too many issues. And I just didn't feel like for any amount of money or any amount of product that I felt like I could look at my viewers in the face and say, this is the best camera. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the thing is that, if, if you're not killing a big deer, if you've got a broadhead that malfunctions, if you, you've got a bow that you can't shoot accurate and it, it causes you to not be as successful as you need to be, then you don't have a show, right? So, so you know, people, you know, yeah, we're, you're, you're pimping the sponsors, but at the same time, you have the opportunity basically to use whatever you want to use. Yeah. And part of the reason that like the dead meat and the mega meat come out 
was because people like me, T-Bone, people like that that shoot G5 were giving them feedback on like the Havoc expandables and things and some of the things we didn't like about them. They were a great broadhead, super tough, sharp as crap, but there was an issue with that collar at times that one blade sometimes would not open up right. And, you know, we realized that they realized it, so they went to fixing it. And this is where, and I think they've even fixed that, but that's where the dead meat and the mega meat collar came into play. Um, and now I feel like it's one of the best systems I can shoot because I just don't usually have to fool with it. Yeah. Um, once in a while, you can get a pack that has them plastic collars where it can, the blades might snap in a little loose, but typically a simple phone call, they'll send you more or something, but I haven't really had that issue. I know you said when you, you'd called me about that, but, um, I think it was operator error on my part because it was the really? first time I fooled with them. And after we got done with our test, Kevin fooled around with them more. And I think what we were doing, we weren't pushing the blades in far enough. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Either that or we, we were pushing them in the wrong way and it was messing up the plastic. But we so, figured it out. Yeah. I mean, you gotcha. know, it, it, good head. Um, yeah. But right, no, so, they are a great head. I mean, they leave massive holes in deer. And I mean, like, that's one thing where I, I'm really, and you know, Mark Drury is the one that sold me on this um, about big holes. Like, you know, stay off the shoulder i mean who cares like you put a hole in a deer with like some of these you know if you mess up and you do shoot a little too far back like i did on roman this past year i mean you're going to be saved because you were shooting such a big head yeah um it's like hitting them with a grenade you know and it's i'm not saying to just take shots but you know i've always been a big guy about hit them hit them where you're supposed to and you're going to kill them yeah, you know, I don't care what you're shooting. There's a ton of good broadheads out there, you know, um, and so I just feel like practice and learning how to shoot deer is the most important thing. But I really do like a, a large cutting broadhead. May not get complete pass-throughs all the time, but I don't care about that. Um, I like that initial hole to be big, and a lot of times when those broadheads go in and say they hit the offside shoulder or they stop before they completely exit out they do so much damage in there when they're still in there and the deer's running i mean it just slices them to pieces um so many deer on my videos have fallen within 40 yards it's crazy yeah you know i mean tons of them and uh but like this past year shooting that scissors buck i mean i shot that deer head on just like I called it the Stan pot shot. Cause I'll never forget Stan shooting a big deer <laughs> yeah, there. 200. Yep. Yeah. Back in the day at 226. And, uh, you know, I was young then and I remember that and like sticks with that sticks with you, that stuff, you know, but that's a shot. You really got to know how to take, but I mean, that arrow, that big two and a quarter inch cut went all the way to the hips of that deer in the back. I mean, it poked out his hip. I mean, it was wow. crazy. Well, that, that's a good, that's a good segue into scissors. Let's, let's unpack that. You know, I actually watched the entire video or maybe you and I watched it yesterday or yeah, day before. We were watching a little bit yesterday. Um, and, and that's a fascinating story. Um, so, some of the guys that are going to be listening, um, maybe haven't seen it yet. Uh, so guys, I, I would highly recommend going to the whitetail edge, 
uh, show YouTube or Mossy Oak Go and watch the watch the episode. But walk us through that that hunt, kind of how it started. And then I've got some specific questions we, when we get into. You know, I, I noticed you kind of hunted from the outside in. You, you know, you started out far and worked your way in. But but tee, tee us up with you know with the phone call you got and and how you ended up there, and then then let's walk through it. Okay. Yeah. So I had just come off killing three bucks and I, you know, I'd killed a 180 in Illinois already, that T-post buck. So then I went to Kansas. I'd killed in Ohio, went to Illinois a day later, killed that 180. Then I went to Kansas, killed in a couple days. Then I was kind of like, didn't know what I was going to do because the farm that I own, I didn't have a big buck that I wanted to shoot. Um, there were some call bucks that I would go after for sure. But, and I, and I'm only saying that just because we had a guy comments that said, must suck to own 300 acres and not have a big buck to shoot. Well, the dummy didn't realize that I'd already killed a 180 if he'd watched my show <laughs> on that farm. Right. You know, so, um, that's the dumbness that you just get so sick and tired of dealing with on social media. I mean, literally it makes me just want to like block, like just quit all of it because I don't like to see it. You know, um, it's not crazy quitting, people not take quitting. the time out of their day to do something like that. I know like not, and I don't mean like to literally quit doing the filming, but the social media is just like, uh, just wears you out. Like, but you have to interact with everybody. You know, that's, you know, cause I really appreciate my fans. Like yeah. the, the, the positive comments are what like, you know, and we, and we get way more positive than we do negative, but it's just something like that. A guy doesn't, take the time to do his research and makes a smart comment because he doesn't own a farm and he likes to make well must suck to have that and not have a big deer on it you know well but anyway so i, I kind of didn't have a giant to hunt and which was fine i mean i didn't care um but i got a call from a guy who owned a really nice farm north of my farm about 30 minutes and he had only owned it about four years and he just was a, he's a smart guy. Ryan just was like, man, I, I've been seeing what you've been doing. Guys were telling me about you. So I've been starting to follow you. And I just watched what you did in less than eight days, killing all these deer. He goes, I've got a deer on my farm that virtually nobody's been able to kill, you know, for years. And he's a legend in our neighborhood. And he goes, everybody's got Intel on this deer, but nobody's been able to kill him. And he's like, you come up and hunt this deer and kill him, you know, even if you, you know, cause I just, I want you to tell me how to hunt my farm because I feel I'll learn more by doing that than anything, which I kind of thought was pretty smart, you know? Yeah. Um, so I took him up on the offer and, uh, you know, I'd even thought, well, like maybe I should just tell him how to hunt this deer, but he's like, no, I want you to hunt it. You know, you, you hunt it like you would, cause that's how you're going to tell me how to live, how my farm should be set up. And so we just went after it, you know, went up, met the guy, super nice guy. And now we're really good friends. And I mean, we text all the time. And it's funny how those relationships get built. And, and the coolest thing was, is after I did kill the deer, I mean, you know, you're always worried, like, is this guy really going to be happy that I just right, killed his deer? Right. But like he, dude, you watched the video, like you saw it. I mean, oh yeah, dude, he was, he was as happy as you were. Yeah. I mean, he was jacked. Like there's no denying and that was all real like i mean it the dude was truly just genuinely happy that i yeah. killed the deer so you, but, you 
you get to the farm, you look, you've seen aerials, but but that's it, right? You, yeah. You've seen aerials. I've never stepped foot on the farm. You know, so you, just looked at aerials on the way there. Um, obviously picked his brain a little bit about where scissors had been picked up on trail cameras or sightings and, you know, um, but at that time of year being November, sometimes that don't mean anything, you know? So we started on the edges just to see if we could lay eyes on him. Um, or when you what, say that, when you say that you just went in and hung where you could really see a long way. Yes. I observatory position with possibility of killing. Like if I could see him crossing the CRP field, then maybe if I saw him, I'd be able to rattle to him or call him in, get a shot. Um, but I also set up in a spot where I felt like deer were going to travel through, but yet I was still watching a lot of country. And so that's how I started out an evening and a morning in the same spot. Did not see the kind of activity I felt like I needed to see to make me feel confident. So then we started our way into the timber a little bit, um, eased our way in some at a good travel corridor and like where a bunch of trails met, had a bunch of bucks by us, some nice bucks, but not him. Yeah. And uh, hunted an evening and a morning there too. I figured I'd give it a shot at both and just did not see what I felt like I needed to see that made me feel like he was there. And the way the other bucks acted, they were too comfortable. Mm-hmm. Didn't make me feel like he was in their roundhouse because they wouldn't have been acting the way they would if this big old boy was, they weren't nervous enough. Does that make so, sense? So when you were, when you, sorry to interrupt you, but when, when you were looking at the map, were you going, okay, I want to start here, but I'm thinking that this spot on the map, this real thick, dark timber, w- whatever it may be, is probably where he is, but I want to ease into there. We're, we're, is some, was something like that going through your head? Well, I mean, I, there was definitely different aspects of the property that I were like, this could very well be where he's at. But again, it was that part of November where these deer are on their feet, they're walking around, they, he could be a mile away, you yep. know? Um, so my goal was to try to find where I thought he was going to be when he was on the farm. Mm-hmm. Cause even Ryan, the landowner said he didn't think he lived on him all the time by any means, if at all. Um, so, cause like, I think the one neighbor had a lot more pictures of him over the years than Ryan ever did. And, uh, so it's just one of them things. So, but I did have certain areas picked out that I felt like, I need to check these spots out because that's where big bucks like, you know, and they were at each ends of the farm. Um, So, but after hunting a little deeper in the timber, I kind of hunted in the center of the farm is where I picked the second time. And we saw a lot of deer, a lot of bucks, but not him. And the way the deer acted, I just felt like I wasn't in his core area. Gotcha. So that's why we shifted one direction, started walking. And then I was putting cameras up actually on stuff that made me feel like, okay, if he's, you know, in case I had to come back because we'd been on the road a while and I was going to have to go back home. And if we didn't get him killed the next day or two, I wanted to have cameras laced out to where they could kind of tell the story when I come back to hunt, if, if he was even in that area. Well, once I come into that one area, after putting a couple of cameras up, I walked up onto the bench into this old thick strip cut overburden area. And I was like, okay, this is what I've been looking for right here. And I just what had was to see. The, what was that, Ben? What, what was well, that? Well, just 
giant rubs, smelled like piss, you know, dominant buck smell. Just everything was ravaged, you know. This looked like a looked like King Kong was had lived there and was got woke up every day upset. Okay, you know, good. that's what big deer do. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I don't think people realize. There's a huge difference in a five, six year old deer in their demeanor when they start feeling their oats, you know, um, just like that nine point I killed clear back, you know, early two thousands, the day I killed that deer, the reason I knew that he was moving was because I could see trees. I could see sumac trees that were about six inches shaking up on the hill in the bedding area. He'd stood up and that went on for about 20 minutes and he'd move and he'd just, I mean, he was just thrashing trees and that deer taught me a lot of this. Like, so after I killed that deer, I went and inspected his bedding area and it just, it was unreal. Like, I mean, I bet I counted 50 rubs within a quarter of an acre. And I mean, they, I'm talking aggressive, like, and stunk scrapes everywhere. You know, that deer would spend a lot of time right there before dark. And that's kind of where I was looking for. It was like, and I, and I look for that all the time when I'm looking for a big buck, you know, I don't look just for a bed sitting on a hillside or, you know, I'm looking for the sign that tells me he spends a lot of time right here. Yeah, that makes and, good uh, sense. Was so, there a, go ahead. Never mind. Go ahead. No, I'll ask you after the story. No, go ahead. Were, the, were there like terrain features or something where that, where you found that bed or was it just, was it on like a, well, it was a, a, hill bench. a bench? bench? So it, it was a bench. So like we had come up from the Creek bottom from the big grassy swampy area. Uh, when I was, I was walking the Creek looking for deer crossings, you know, and then I was going to follow them into the thickets to see what I could find. Well, this one trail led us up into the thicket. And then I went, uh, I didn't even see a deer trail going up to this thicket i just saw the bench on the aerial and i'm like i need to check this bench out because most what i've learned in some hill country a lot of bucks like to live on that upper third half of the you know timber top three quarters you know just below the top but not quite to the top but not to the bottom you know in the fall summertime they love to be in the bottoms where it's cool but um so i climbed i just told Javen, I said, you just wait here. And I just climbed up the hill and I walked right into it. And I was like, whoa, you know, I mean, for all I know, we might even run him out of there. I don't know. Um, I, but I just stopped and I was like, I felt like I was kissing my sister on the lips or something because I just felt like I was in territory. I shouldn't be, you know? And I told Javen, I said, this is it. This is where he's at right here. I said, we're going to kill this deer right here. And And so, so yeah, where go ahead. Where'd you set up or what, what made you pick the tree you picked? Well, I was very limited on trees, but I wanted to have so I wanted I knew instantly I wanted to actually access this the same way I did getting in there. I wanted to come in from the bottom from the creek and climb the hill and have my stand set right on the edge of the hill, like the, the bench. So the bench was like this, and then it, it went like this and then up again and out to big ag you know, big locust thickets and olive bushes and all that, you know, probably acres of that up here. And then it come down to this bench and they were running this bench and he was bedding around this bench, making all this sign. And then it dropped off from there down into the grassy swamp. So we basically wanted to come in back door him 
climb right into the stand coming off the hill so my wind can blow right over the bank, keep it consistent. He, you know, figured he'd be coming back down working this bench at some point. And that's how we caught him. You know, we actually caught him the next morning then up, up a little higher coming back off those big ag fields, pushing does around. It'd be my guess is what was going on, but I don't know, you know, but we could just hear him up there carrying around here. We could hear some bucks, you know, grunting. The does were blowing. They were nervous and little, you know, most of the time does just don't blow at other deer. If they're not, you know, if they're being harassed or like, you know, little bucks or whatever, they don't really do that much, but I have seen them when the big breeder buck is around, they'll do that, yeah. you know, um, especially if they're not quite ready. <clears throat> and so I could just tell by the grunt I heard and some of this, I was just trying to envision everything that was happening ahead of me the next morning of what was going on. And that's how I kind of, I was like, I think he's up there, you know? Um, but we'd come, we just got in there early the next morning, backdoored him, come in there, and it just worked perfectly. You did know? you call? Uh, did you do any calling or anything like that? When you well, once we knew he was up there, I tried to grunt a few times with the extinguisher just to see if I couldn't pull him down. But he wasn't leaving those does, or the action was going on up there. But I knew I'm like, all right, I'm in his core. This is all his sign right here. Because the night before we had we'd hung and hunted. We never left the woods. We we hung them stands. Got in there. Hung the stands probably by, had them hung by 11.40, 11.45. And we hunted the rest of the evening till dark. And we saw four mature bucks that evening. But every time they'd get on that bench, they wanted to use that to get through there. But they were just kind of like. They were looking for him. Yeah. Like, oh, crap. You know, I got, I just got to get through here, you know, before Scissor sees me, you know. Yeah. And so they just had that feel about them. And, and so then I you know, we just decided that this is, this is where he's at. And so then I grunted, he didn't, you know, he didn't respond and I couldn't see the deer. I could just hear things going on up there and he didn't respond to that. So I gave it a little time. I, I grunted some more, made, made some like glutteral, you know, like a buck chase and a doe type type grunts. And then I took the horns, you know, the black rack and I just, you know, kind of started out slow and then got aggressive and then just stopped. And I'm like, if he's as dominant as I feel he is, he'll walk away from that doe for a few minutes to come down here and see who is in his bedroom, you know? And that's exactly what he did. I mean, I'll be darned. He just, he just, I heard the stick start cracking. And like, I actually think what he did is he busted a couple trees off quick and then, you know, he come down the hill and he come in, as you can see on the video, he was looking hard. Yeah. You know, he wanted to know who was there. That's awesome, I, man. And, and, and the, the, the cool part, the icing on the cake is, I, I, you know, you shoot him, you hit him perfect. You turn around to the camera and he loops around behind you and dies right there, but right there yeah. behind you on, on camera. That's enough. Yeah. As soon as I shot him, I, I looked at the camera and I'm like, we just killed the giant. You know what I mean? Like I knew the shot. I mean, I saw the blood explode the second I hit him and then he died like right there. You yeah. know, it was pretty awesome. But a lot of people, what they don't see, cause we didn't film it, but where he stops, 
he couldn't go any further there. That's where the ravine was. Like, I mean, he could have, but he'd had to walk through a bunch of thick olive bushes to get down there. So he was going to do one of two things. He was either going to bolt because he was going to pick me up eventually. Or, you know, so like he was either going to do that or he was going to turn so hard and go the other way that I wasn't going to get shot. And sometimes when you grunt them or you, you bleed blom to a stop, they can freak out on you. So it's always a, especially that close, you don't know how to react, but I knew I had to make a decision. And so I got him to stop because what I didn't want him to do was come right underneath my tree. Cause then he yeah. got, never got shot. Yeah. So I stopped him where I did so I could get some kind of shot. And I had been drawn as when you see him in the video coming down the hill and he crosses a little ditch with his nose underground, I drew right then. And I waited that whole time because I knew once he got in my roundhouse, I'd not be able to draw because I was so low in the tree, yep. you know, that he'd pick me up. So when I, I was already at full draw for probably 50 seconds before, you know, 40, 50 seconds before I stopped him. Yep. And, uh, that's one of the keys too. like so many people. I think that's what separates killers from hunters is knowing those things and knowing when to draw. Yeah. And and that's not something you can tell anybody that's from years and years and years of experience. Yeah. And so once I stopped him and you can just see the look in his eyes when he looks up game over, he's like, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And when you were looking at the, uh, the aerial map and you said you picked out a couple spots where you knew a big buck would live, what, what did that look like? Were you, were you looking at like the different edges you could tell in the in vegetation, or were you looking at um, like topographic features? Well, both? kind of a little bit of both, but obviously I take water and food into consideration, and then look in between them. You know, where where are these deer going to be drinking? Where are they going to be eating? I don't think people give credit a lot to water. You know, especially when the deer's rutting you know, they need to drink and, or just live in general, you know, especially in hill country, water is super important. Um, some of the flat country areas, like where you guys live, there's water everywhere and they're in the swamps. So that's not such a, that deer can stand up and he can get a drink about anywhere, any direction he goes. That's not always the case in the Midwest. Um, but I like to take like this farm had a Creek running right through the middle of it. So I felt like that was a great place to find the sign and then follow it back from there to figure out where to go, you know. And that's how you usually start. You'll you'll find like a creek crossing or a field edge or something and then find the sign leading into the thicker. It, it just stuff. depends. I mean, it, it really does. I mean, depends on the situation or like, you know, if, how long I have to hunt or if I've been running cameras, have I not? But like when I used to hunt a lot of public land and stuff, those were the tactics I'd use. You know, I'd, I'd find because so, they got across those spots mm-hmm. so those are great places to pick up a big buck track or some serious activity and then slowly start to backtrack it to a spot because in a like a food source there could be so many trails leading into a food source but eventually they all kind of end up going and congregating in certain areas so i try to find that quicker you know that creek, makes, yeah. creek crossings. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good, good, good uh, point. When you were, when you were working your way in there, Ben, and you, uh, you said you were putting out some cameras, what sign 
were you looking for? Is it a, like a culmination of rubs and crossings or scrapes? Well, or? I was kind of putting them on the crossings at that point, you know, there and a, a real heavy trail below that bench. Um, so that's kind of what I was just looking for really, because especially in that time of year, if the bucks are going to be following the does, the does are going to be on those heavy trails anyways. So I was just looking to see if he was going to be around. And, and you know? that was giving you live intel right then as well as future intel. So you, yeah. you were putting them in, in spots that could help you right then, but in the back of your mind you were going, all right, if i got to bail out of here, I want this camera here because I just need to get him walking through here in daylight or whatever, and then I'm going to bounce right back. Yeah, well, I just need to know where he's at. Like what areas does he like to be, you know? Because you can have a deer live on 100 acres, and he may only ever spend time on 10 of it. Yeah. You know, I, I've literally had leases over the years where I had certain deer. They'd never cross a certain point. Like, they just never would. There'd be a pond or some kind of feature, and those deer would never spend any other time of their time past a certain point of that farm. It was almost like they had draw a line in the dirt, like, this is yours, this is mine. I mean, numerous times I've had that, but they'll go a mile the other direction. How about you that? Know? That was it's the just, end of that end of the home range. Yeah, and I feel that that's kind of what Scissors did on this guy's farm. I feel like that end I was at, not that he would never end up the other way, but I felt like his home range was, this was the end of it here. And when he was at this western end, he was this where he wanted to be of his home range. He'd spend time here, then he might go, you know, half mile the other direction for a day or two and be in a different bedding area. I'll be darned. I think that's how a lot of them big bucks survive. They don't do everything. They don't do, they don't do a lot of stuff twice consecutively in a row, like for days and days. Make I mean, once in a while you'll get a big deer that might bed all the time. If he's never getting bumped or never getting pressure, he may bed in a certain area all the time, or he's only got so many places to pick from, but. I just kind of feel like as survivors, they, they know they need to switch it up some. I don't know. Ben, when, when you see these big bucks, do you think their core areas, they get smaller? They find like a, a nucleus where they, they think they won't get messed with and, and they kind of shrink down? Or do you think they, they still travel? Or is it all dependent on the buck? Well, everybody, I think all bucks have different personalities, but I do feel that their core ranges get a little smaller for their everyday life. But I also feel like when they get to a certain age and, you know, they don't want to stop breeding, you know. Um, so I, I've always found that sometimes you'll end up catching those big deer in a spot that you just don't expect them to catch them later in November or whatever, because they're starting to run out of the does that they had where they were, you know, it seems to me like the big bucks, the big mature deer are always the last ones to really start that being craziness of seeking and, you know, whatever, but they're the last ones to stop, you know, like that. I feel like that November 20, 20th to 28th, can be really a magical time for a true giant buck finishing you know, up the rut they know that it's yeah. coming to an end yeah like i'm talking you know you're driving going to thanksgiving dinner and all of a sudden there's a 
190-inch deer standing in the middle of an open field crossing a tree line. You're like, what are you doing? It's <laughs> yeah. 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and he's just like lovesick. Yeah, at last. He knows it's the last coming to an end. Yeah, I mean, it's. I just feel like that's what happens with those deer. And so sometimes I feel like you can get the dupe on them a little yep. bit then. But obviously we killed, you know, I, I kill a lot of my deer a lot earlier than that. But I'm not afraid to hunt those times. You don't see as many deer and people are like, God, this sucks because the deer just aren't moving. And, and you're burnout. You're burnout. But man, I'm telling you, all of a sudden it can just happen. Like yep. a giant can be, you know, so you got to stay positive And, you know, like I, I remember watching a video years ago of jay gregory back in you know again back in these early days of the juries and jay was still filming with mark and terry and um he killed a monster um in a big thicket like that rattled him in late november you know um just stuff like that you know you just got to stay at it you know be persistent we got time to unpack one more you got time, Ben? I got as yeah. much time as y'all want. Okay. Um, let's unpack one more because I think guys really get a lot of value out of you walking through or, or guys walking through the, the encounters with these big deer. Is there one that sticks out in your mind that, that you were playing the game with that, that was kind of an – I know the big nine, but, but another aha moment that, that you, you played the game with – driving you crazy you finally figured him out and you got him killed is there you got another example like that or, or just unpack another one of your big ones and, and how you you know found him and and ended up killing him uh scrape master a deer i called scrape master he was a tough deer um he was an illinois buck scored 183 gross um that's a great hunt but that was a grinder you know we were out of state and it was just one of those things too, where you just, you got to grind. I mean, because like he, them deer, sometimes they're just not there. You know, they get up and they leave and they go somewhere and you can put all the time in the world you want in the stand and they're just not there. You know, it's not because they're not moving or you're doing something wrong. Sometimes they're just not there. And he was that deer. I mean, he challenged me mentally because I only had so many days to hunt. And I needed to stay after that deer to get him killed. And I just, I felt like we were chasing a ghost because I just felt like he wasn't there. We weren't getting the pictures. We weren't getting the sign. And all of a sudden, bang, I get his picture back on a scrape and we killed him the next day. So you moral know? of the story there is stay after it. Yeah, just stay after it. And I mean, if you've got limited time, but I mean, I'm not saying burnout spots, but you can't especially when you're out of state, like me, when I'm filming, I have to, I have to grind, man. And like, that's what the guys that, you know, any camera guy I've ever had, I think they, they all feel like my persistence is something that, you know, they, uh, just, they, they realize that that's part of my success. And that when I do get a big deer around, I, I just figure out how to kill it, you know, most of the time. And I'm not always going to be that way. I mean, I mess up, but. Oh, of course, know, of course. I, I so have confidence in my abilities and I don't think that's being unhumble or, you know, anything like that. But I feel you have to have a certain amount of confidence in yourself. So that's a, a controversial 
thing, and, and Adam Hayes and I were talking about the same thing, is cameras and putting them in where you're going to be hunting. And I'm a huge believer in doing that. Adam Hayes is a huge believer in doing that. And, and you just said you had a camera on a scrape. He showed up that day. You killed him the next day. So obviously you had cameras in the area that you're actually going to be hunting to get that live intel. Is that, yeah. would that be I mean, safe I, to yeah, so like if, what it was was a, it was a major hub scrape like that all the bucks used, and I knew what it was was I knew that when if he would be on the farm, he would hit that scrape. I just knew it. That's why we called him Scrape Master because the only time I'd ever get his pictures was on a scrape, and so I figured I got to have a camera there, you know. And this is going back to like 2016, and um, you know, cell cams weren't real popular then, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of options. Um, but you know, it wasn't like I get his picture and I go running and I didn't have a stand on that scrape. There was no good place to hunt right there on that scrape, but close, I was within 50 yards, but I actually didn't kill him working the scrape. I mean, I, I killed him. Um, I rattled his butt in too, because he got on another, him and another deer were fighting and, he had busted up this other buck and he was chasing that buck off. And I had rattled once or twice trying to, um, get their attention, but I couldn't see him. But eventually he run that buck up out of there and he was coming back to that core area. And I think he was going to go work that scrape. And then I ended up killing him, you know, on his way to it. Yeah. But we had moved at nine 30 in the morning, moved our stand. <laughs> what time did you kill him? I killed him at 1145. Okay. People be in the dang cabin eating, eating yeah. Twinkies and Ho-Hos by then. <laughs> and we had hunted every day, all day for like five days, six days. That's Cause I just knew he was going to come back at some point. He just so happened to come back at night, you know, and then I got his picture and then we killed him the next day when he was back on the farm. I knew if he was on the farm, I'd get him killed or at least get an opportunity, you know? Ben, when you're scouting these properties with these big bucks um, and you know you're going to hunt, you know, that afternoon or the next day or whatever in that area, are you worried about, are you being cognizant of where you're walking, um, worried about laying down ground scent, or are you just, you're just worried about finding where he's coming in and out of there and, and catching them? Well, no, I really do feel like your access is key. I mean, you don't want to be, you don't want to walk a bunch where you think he's going to walk, right? you know, because you may never see him. You know, he may just cut that track and like, oh, then slowly back up and turn and leave. You'll never even know he knew. I think people have had so many big bucks around them that they never even knew were around them. I mean, I'm sure I'm guilty of the same. You know, I'd love to know the kind of deer that I've had around me that I never knew were even around me that I didn't know left, you know, over the years. So I, I definitely think that's a major part is, you know, but then there comes a point where you got, just have to get aggressive, man. You just got to roll the dice yeah. Yeah. and you got to go for it. And it pays off sometimes. Sometimes it don't, but yeah, I mean, when you, I'm out of state, I get aggressive. Yeah. You, you've got limited time and you, you, you know, j just like scissors, you went into areas where you thought he may go, you were hanging cameras in there. Um, but because again, limited time, right? So, so yeah, limited time. Absolutely. Absolutely. But but when you found that the spot, you know, on that bench, 
you, you know, you didn't just go bebopping all through there. You stayed back on that edge. Yeah, I, you were... I instantly held up and I hung, right? I found the best scenario for right there with all that sign. I didn't care if there was that much sign 50 yards further. I didn't care. That was enough sign for me. I knew he was in that general area, so I held up because I knew if I kept walking and I was just going to mess it up. Yep. So I made do with what I had to work with in a stand, and we ended up hanging in like a 14-inch hackberry tree, which is not a very big tree, but hackberry was super rigid and strong. And there was a, a couple cedars right in front of it, so it gave us that perfect cover. I think we were 12 feet off the ground. You gotta, yeah, you got to be where you got to be. And I'm you know. sure that if you hadn't have killed him there and you'd seen him you know, 100 yards out in front of you working back and forth, you'd have broken down and moved in closer. Yeah, if I couldn't get him to come to me or whatever, then yeah, we would. if we'd have saw some kind of activity we needed to capitalize on, then we could have adjusted. Yeah. But I was going to take it slow until I, at that point, because I just didn't want to run him out of the farm if he was there, you know. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. I know we all got stuff to do. We're, we're over a little over an hour now, so maybe we can do this again in a, in a month or so, you know, do a part two. Um, but really appreciate it, man. Um, have a great weekend, and uh, I cannot wait to see you with that Mossy Oak Terra Gila ICO clothing with a 190 or a 200 <laughs> in front of you. Yeah, I would like that too. I don't have one located yet, but I'm trying. Yeah, I know it won't be long. Yeah, but cool, yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate your guys' support. And you know, yeah, man. Well, we, we're we're excited about the partnership, and uh, thank you for all you do, and and for the help that you you know you you give other hunters that are coming up that want to learn, and you know that's kind of what this podcast is about is is providing value for folks and and helping everybody, including ourselves. I mean, we bounce ideas off each other that. It helps us and, and, you know, helps everybody. So, yeah, I was being selfish. Those questions I was asking were specifically for me because I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hopefully that'll help somebody else too. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, and if you watch my videos, you'll see, like I use a lot of black widow deer lures for cover scent, things like that. I mean, I feel all that stuff adds up over time. Yeah. You know, and, uh, just little things, you know, and it's not trying to be a sales pitch, but I truly believe everything we use on our show can help people, you know, and, and, and that's it. You know, again, I'm, I'm going to beat this. I, always, I, th I think I say this in every episode. I'm going to beat this dead horse one more time. <laughs> Guys that are passionate about killing specific giant bucks are not going to use anything that's going to hamper them from doing that. Yeah. And, and that's no, important I, I, for guys to know. Yeah, and I mean, so like, for instance, like this Cobra release, I've shot this same style release for forever. I've, I've never, I've never wavered from this style and Cobra's been in business forever. I've shot other brands of releases, but I've always shot like a rope release like this. And then, you know, Cobra and I got together a few years back and I've just, I'm, he's made all kinds of brand new, great releases, but I will not switch from this because I'm just so confident in my which setup. One, which one is that, Ben? Do you know? That the, is the Trophy Premier. Trophy Premier. Um, but they've got a new one out called the Maverick and some things like that that are a little more smaller profile that a lot of guys probably would really like. I'm just, but I'm 48. I'm old school. So I have a hard time switching. Like, I don't even want to shoot a new bow every year. I don't want to. I mean, for years I shot the same bow, 
mm-hmm. you know, like if it's all about hitting the deer. I mean, the Indians used to kill freaking bucks with, you know, sticks with strings tied to them from horsetail hair and, you know, a whittled out stick with a stone tied to the end of it. And people are get on the internet and be like, well, you couldn't shoot a deer with that. There's no way that, you know, come on. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, you look back to what we were shooting when we were kids, Joe, aluminum arrows that were as big around. Oh, as absolutely cup. right. You know, you remember the old satellite broadhead that everybody thought was so awesome. It had like six blades and it would, <laughs> it would spin when you'd shoot and it sound like a helicopter going through the air. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the hundred grain thunderheads, buddy. Those were yeah. good ones too. I mean, I used to shoot all the Walmart specials or Kmart special. We didn't have Walmart then, but around me, but I'd go to like Kmart and buy those three, three bladed solid heads and fling them at does. And, you know, I mean, I'm just saying like, just you evolve it. If you just evolve it, your hunting skills alone. And that's why I try to encourage everybody on podcasts, like especially young guys, don't let this whole social media craze and all this stuff like direct you to be like, there's nothing worse to me when a 14 year old kid's kid comes up to me at a hunting show and he's like, man, I had this four and a half year old or this three year old. And I just, man, kill it. Yeah. Like you're 14. There should be no such thing as deer management for a 14 year old kid. Love like, the sport. Absolutely yeah, right. Enjoy it, man. Just kill it. Like eventually you'll get there. I mean, yeah, I hate it when a 14 year old kid kills my five year old that I'm trying to grow or my four-year-old, but I get it. Like I was that kid, you know what I mean? So like, I I just, I try to tell these kids, I grab them by the shoulder literally and be like, look, get that out of your head. Like, just enjoy it. Do not be ashamed to go shoot 120 inch deer at 14 or 16 years old, man. Like practice that shoot a bunch of does practice your skills at, you know, distances of shooting those kind of deer and learning where to hit them and, you know, just learn deer, man, be a woodsman and just have fun at it. I, I just really feel like that's what will turn somebody around. I mean, I've sure. messed up here. Some of my best memories are my screw ups, you know, and the greenness and the newness of being a bow hunter as a youngster. And, you know, I literally can like envision it in my head, you know, hanging my old, camo tree bark coveralls in the barn you know as a kid in the dairy barn and getting off the bus from school and you know grabbing the old scent shield that was made by had miles keller's signature on the bottom of it and just covering down with that stuff and putting those old coveralls on and grabbing my i had a my first real compound was a was a called a condor mag made by proline and the handle was as big around as this coffee cup you know, and just sounded like a big twang when it would go off, you know, but old junky three pin sites, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We did with whatever we could do, but those memories of running to the woods, not knowing anything, those are just like priceless. So that's why I just encourage kids to enjoy this time of their life now, because eventually you get good and not that it ever goes away, but you know, sometimes being ultra good at something can sometimes get boring. Does that make sense? It, yeah. Get, get boring and, and get, you know, undue stress, right? You, 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 yeah. you lose focus on being that kid that enjoys it. And, and, and you're so fixated on, on getting it done 
that that you you miss the sunrise, you miss the frosty morning, you miss the doe and the fawn that, that you know at sunset. You, you not not to sound kumbayaish. Kevin likes when I talk like this; it gets him all excited. But um, <laughs> but, but no, but you, it's the truth. You yeah, it you, is, you don't it see is the, the forest for the trees. Yeah, that's right. And you and know. um, you know, we could do another whole podcast on you know taking in the enjoyment and the nature and all that. And maybe that's what we ought to do next time is, is step away from the obsession of killing big deer and just talk about hunting. Yeah. It's and it. And that is the tough thing with a show like this, because there, I don't think, the you know, and I'm sure maybe some do, but I don't think a lot of the viewers realize the pressure that a guy like me feels. Cause like, and a guy like Adam or, you know, Don Higgins that, you know, when you get a reputation for killing really good deer, you know, it's expected and like all the time. And mm -hmm. man, you just, you find yourself putting yourself under pressure. That's really unneeded. But I have found for me to be successful with my show that I need to do that. I have to kill those kind of deer because that's what, that's the viewership we get because we're not, we're not like a hunting public where we're producing content year round every week putting something different out there you know i've got a family i'm raised you know i work a real job and and i can't just go all spring and so i mean i think what the hunting public guys do is great like if i if i'd have been their age i mean like thinking back man i wish i'd have done something like that just went all over the place and just killed the snot out of stuff like i just i think their stuff is great sure i'm just not that guy so we produce our stuff and it only comes out so long, so many times a year, you know, we release all our new hunts in July into August because I feel like that's when people then are amped up. They're seeing velvet bucks. And so then we put all our new edited content content out there other than like our tips and our stuff like that, that we're starting to do more of and teasers. But um, so a guy like me to survive in this industry, I have to perform and it does, it does add pressure sometimes to make it not fun. Yeah. And I have to, I have to find that balance. Yeah. And it's not easy to do, man. Well, again, thanks a lot, buddy. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Yep. Um, tell everybody I said, hello, uh, hit Dylan for me as hard as you can. Maybe yeah, me too. or something. Yeah. Uh, well, congrats on your guys. two deer too. Thanks Thank man. You. Appreciate that. A little velvet South Carolina action early. So yeah. yeah hap happy Impressive. to get those. Well, appreciate it, buddy. And, uh, we'll yeah. be in touch soon. Everybody Ben rising whitetail edge. Check out his show, and uh, Ben, we look forward to having you back again, man. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Man. All right, buddy. Yep. See you later. Bye. See you.